we continue this morning, we are turning our focus to Hebrews chapter 3, where we have been over the past several weeks, and today Hebrews 3 works well with all the readings as we pull together the pieces of Scripture. All the way from the third chapter of Genesis, we've now arrived in the first chapters of the gospel, and it begs the question, what does all this mean? Hebrews 3, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. We are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we gather this morning... As we read your word, we ask that you would send your spirit and grant us understanding. It's on him that we are dependent. We ask that you would teach us, Lord, and that you would speak for your servants are listening. Amen. In 1929, in the aftermath of the First World War, Ernest Hemingway published his third novel, A Farewell to Arms. It's a work of fiction, but it's based on Hemingway's own experiences in the First World War, where he was part of the ambulance corps in the Italian army. It was a tremendous success as a novel. It was a bestseller. But Hemingway admits that he struggled to actually write the conclusion to the novel. At the JFK Memorial Library in Boston, there is a draft copy of A Farewell to Arms, it had gone unresearched for many years, but then one scholar began to work through the voluminous pile of papers. And it was discovered as he worked through the drafts of A Farewell to Arms that not only had Hemingway struggled with the conclusion, he had written 47 different conclusions to the novel. 47! In 2012, those 47 different conclusions were collected together and published in a new version of A Farewell to Arms. For many literary critics, this was atrocious because the author had intended one final conclusion and he had given to a, it to us in the original publication. But when you look at the new copy in 2012 that was produced, what you find are very different conclusions that have a completely different tone that take the story in a different direction, despite the fact that it's only a few sentences. Those few sentences, 47 different times, change the meaning of the entire novel. The conclusion impacts the meaning of everything. And when we arrive in Hebrews 3, this is precisely the point. That the final words that we have from God, the final speech that we have from God, his last revelation to us, that they direct the meaning 
of the entire story that we've been reading this morning. And this congregation in the book of Hebrews that's unknown to us, but what we do know of them is that they were drifting. And they were drifting into a form of religious expression that was flirting with other conclusions to the story. They were not necessarily departing from Jesus completely, but rather slowly and subtly, they were claiming that these Christians, these newfound believers, not only needed to believe in Jesus, but they also needed to accept the Mosaic law. That if they were to be right with God, they had to believe in Christ, and they also had to obey the law of Moses. They had to become Jewish. This is what they were flirting with. It was a retreat into a compromised form of Christianity in which they were suppressing the significance of Jesus. And in suppressing that significance, they were supplanting him. They told an alternate ending to the story. They were not accepting the final word that had been spoken by God in Jesus. And it was twisting the entire thing out of shape. Everything was turning upside down. Now, it happened then and there in the first century, very close to the life of Jesus. And this same dynamic always threatens the church today, here and now. We're not immune to it. It is subtle and slight, but nonetheless, it is real. Jesus is not completely thrown out, but he oftentimes in congregations is relegated to a lower place than the place that he deserves and commands. This is what drift looks like when Jesus slowly and subtly is relegated. And so the question for us this morning as we read this panoply of Scripture lessons, as we hear all the music that has been associated with these wonderful passages of Scripture, is how do we anchor ourselves against those forces of drift that always threaten us? And in these six short verses, there's three things that I'd like to briefly draw your attention to as to how we anchor ourselves against that drift. The first is simply this, is that we have to appreciate the consequence of the moment. If you follow in verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now, to this congregation that was flirting with drifting away and supplanting Jesus, there's one admonition, that they would consider Jesus. That if we're going to be anchored against the forces of drift, it is to consider Jesus as to who he is. And there are then two designations given to him, that he is the apostle of our confession and that he is the high priest of our confession. First, we have this term apostle, and it is a strange one. It's not one that we are accustomed to having associated with Jesus. Typically, we think of the disciples after the resurrection of Jesus being commissioned as apostles and sent out to the world. The word apostle simply means one who is sent, but it's also entirely appropriate to understand Jesus as an apostle, and yet he was not sent by a man. No, he was sent by God himself. He was an envoy from heaven. 
He is that final speech. And this is where the book of Hebrews begins, that in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. He is the apostle from God, a special ambassador from heaven, sent to speak in these last days the final word that God will speak. He brings together all that has already been said. And he completes and finalizes it and brings it to a climax. And the point of all this in the book of Hebrews is that this, this final speech, this conclusion, is the consequential moment in all of history. This is the summation of the entire story. And it's the consequential moment for everyone who walks upon the face of the earth is to hear this final speech and then to determine how to respond to it. And so for congregations who live with the thread of drift, for us today and all the various distractions that we have, we must listen carefully. We must accept the the great consequence of what Jesus has done, this momentous time in history in which he has spoken and given the final revelation of God. Now the second piece to this in which we ask, how do we avoid drift? It's just simply that we must consider the extent of our needs. Two designations given to Jesus. First, he's the apostle, the one sent from God. But secondly, he is the high priest. It's interesting that this second designation given to Jesus is part of the Mosaic law. That in our passage, Moses is rivaling Jesus. That Moses and his law are being added to faith in Jesus as a necessity for salvation. Moses is being exalted right next to Jesus. And what was happening is that the point of Moses was completely being missed. You find this in verse 5 where it's explained to us. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. And it's clear here, the point is that Moses was always on the way to something else. He was speaking about future things. And so the sacrifices and the cultic rituals and even the high priest, these were shadows of good things to come, as will be explained in chapter 10, that Moses was on the way to something else. He was not to be a rival to Jesus, that Moses was presenting the story in preliminary fashion, the story that Jesus himself would fulfill. And what Moses makes so plainly clear to us is evident in the way that he gives the law to Israel and the way that the law speaks to us. Because you see, there's two parts to that law. Two parts, there's a precept, that is the command of God, in which he reveals God's will to us, and there is the promise of God. And for Moses, as he spoke to Israel, he spoke in shadows, foreshadowing the things that would come when Jesus Christ came. It was a promise of spiritual grace. But in front of the precept of God, we learn of what his perfect will is, and we know that we come up far short of that. But it is in the promise of God and in the fulfillment of that And this is what the book of Hebrews argues, is why retreat into the shadows when you have the very fulfillment in front of you? And so a retreat away from that fulfillment, 
when we pull away from Jesus, when we drift from him, what we're failing to reckon with is our great need. What God has done for us. The fact that the precept of God does reveal us. And that we need one who stands in our place and represents us and can reconcile us fully to God. He is the great high priest who compassionately identifies with us and alone can atone for us, who tasted death on our behalf. And yet drift just simply sees Jesus as important, but not as essential. And so we're to consider that. The great high priest, who's not just important in our lives, but essential for our lives, that he can reunite us and reconcile us to God. Now the final piece that we see here in anchoring us against drift is that we have to contemplate the overarching story. We do live in a modern world that's full of all kinds of distractions. We have Snapchats, I'm told about. We have Instagram. We have text messages. We have the internet. We have 24-hour news. We have any measure of things that can draw our attention. And one of the things that's noted about life in the modern world is because of all the constant things that we can give our attention to and that can beckon us of any of our waking hours, that we can avoid anything serious because we have so much right in front of us. But in the book of Hebrews, what we have is that something directly challenges this, something designed to arrest our attention and to awaken us from our slumber of all of our distractions. And it invites us to put our lives into a larger frame, to put our lives into a larger context, into a script that's actually written by God, not a script that we write ourselves. We discover in verses 3 and 4 that script. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, we've already read in chapter 1 that all things were created in and through Jesus Christ. That before the foundations of the world, God appointed Jesus to be the mediator of the relationship between God the Father and the creation. That all things flowed through him. And now we hear that Jesus is the builder of the house. Moses was a servant in the house. He performed his proper role. But Jesus is the builder of the house. And the builder of all things is God. And so it's a monstrous statement of Jesus' identity. And before the foundations of the world, Jesus was appointed the heir of all things. And so the one who created all things. And the one who is the heir of all things. He then enters into the world. And he compassionately shares in all of our pains and all of our sufferings. But he does so uniquely because he does so without sin. He then tastes death for everyone, for everything. And then because he was without sin, he is vindicated. He's exalted to God's right hand. He was raised from the dead. And now he rules over the world in the heavenly places. And the point of the author of Hebrews is that Jesus, there was something inevitable about him. There was an overarching script that was written in God's eternal counsel. 
He was decreed to be the heir of the world. He was the creator of all things. And now he is the builder of a new house. It's nothing less than a new creation. A creation that's being reconciled to God through his sacrificial death and offering. And we are asked to consider that overarching story. We are asked to contemplate how we frame our lives and how we understand what life is really all about. And what's being argued for us today is that a true and meaningful life, a truly human life, is one that puts itself inside of that overarching story, that understands the eternal counsels of God and what God decreed in Jesus Christ and what God will bring about, what he has effected already in the death and resurrection of Jesus and what is soon to come. And this is how drift is countered. Our own indifference, our own laziness, our own ingratitude, that we counter it with the consequence of the moment. That the story, the one who the story was always about, has spoken. We have the final revelation from him. That we have a necessity for him. Because the precepts of the law, they crush us. And they unveil us as sinners who can do nothing to please God. And yet then we have the fulfillment of the promise. And we have this overarching story that God has scripted in Jesus Christ that began before creation, has now been affected in his death and resurrection, and will soon be consummated when he returns. Jesus is the end of all of this. He is the climax. He is the conclusion. And he welcomes you to frame your life inside of him, the end of all of God's speaking. And this is what we hear this morning, is for you to join in the loving purposes of God, to see your life inside of those loving purposes and all that God has done for you and all that he's done for his world. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would help us, that you would rescue us from all the things that can distract us and pull us away, from all the things that move us to drift away from considering Jesus. And would you grant us a new sight of him this morning, that we consider him and weigh him, that we consider him the one who is the final speech that you have given, that we consider him the high priest who atones for our sins, and that we consider him who invites us into this overarching story of his great victory. Awaken our hearts this morning to all of his glory and all the honor that he is due. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.